0: And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before
1: you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500.
0: Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 614. A couple of quick things and we'll get right into the show. Uh, my molecules are vibrating because I don't think I've slept in almost two days, uh, but it's been worth it. We uh, Today's December 18th, Thursday, yesterday, the 17th, we did our last episodes of At Midnight for 2014, and uh, so we will not be back until January 5th of 2015 Which when we do, we're going to be on at 11.30 for two weeks Filling in the gap between Colbert and Wilmore So we'll be at midnight at 11.30 uh, If that is a problem for your brain, then just justify it by saying Oh, we announce a winner at midnight uh, But we're going to be following The Daily Show uh, just for those two weeks Which is a, a very big deal for us So please tune in, it's half hour earlier So you don't have to stay up as late uh, also, I'm uh, put a bunch of dates for my stand-up tour, Fun Comfortable, uh, on funcomfortabletour.com. A ton of cities, so go there and, and check it out and come out to a show. Uh, so we finished uh, at midnight last night. I got on a red-eye, came to New York, and just through random delays or whatever, almost had to go... Straight from dropping off my luggage to the podcast. So the sleep deprivation had an extra uh, element of surrealism to the fact that we were talking to Paul McCartney. And uh, he was incredible, uh, as you will hear. And Matt and Jonah were there. And we left the podcast and all just, just had to go sit somewhere for a minute and just to try to get some food. And we just stared at each other like, how did, where, How? because it doesn't seem like that long ago we were in... Tom Lennon's Converted Garage, starting the podcast. Now, five years later, here we are talking to Paul McCartney, and that is largely thanks to you. If this is your first time listening because you saw Paul McCartney's name, then thank you for checking us out. And if you've been a listener, um, honestly, we couldn't do this without you listening and your support. So, uh, huge piles of thanks on you, a good human. Paul has a new single out called Hope for the Future. It is from the Destiny soundtrack, Destiny the Video Game, uh, made by Bungie and published by Activision. And you can get, uh, he's got an EP on iTunes right now. There's a bunch of different mixes of the song that are all really cool. So go to iTunes, check that out. Or if you want to see the video, that's on Paul's Vivo channel on YouTube. But uh, I am honored and appreciative and uh, freaked out to say, here's the Nerdist Podcast number 614 with Sir Paul McCartney.
2: Now entering... Nerdist.com.
0: So, if you go to Starbucks and they go, Can I have a name for this? Do you go, Paul, or do you give them a fake name? <laughs>
3: Yeah. No, I pay cash. Oh, you just pay cash. <laughs> cash, man. I'm a cash man.
0: What's your drink of choice? We're In uh, Starbucks? Yeah, in the Starbucks.
3: Uh, soy latte. Nice. Yeah, that's good. You getting into almond milk? I'm getting
0: real into almond milk yeah, these days. Yeah, I like almond milk. Yeah.
3: very Ever so good for you. Yeah. This yeah. is
0: very nice of you to have us to your office and check. Oh, it's good. Have you done a podcast before? Have you done a what? Have you done a podcast before, or is this your first Um point?
3: Yeah. Oh, you
0: have? God, okay. Damn, yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm
3: right off with it, man.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All the way. <laughs> yeah.
3: I just turned my phone off. Madly professional. That's a sweet... I've never... That is so sort of sweet. Now, it's we're looking at an old-fashioned Nokia here. But you know why? Because it fits anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, phones are getting a little bit too big for me. And I yeah. was I was at some place where there were some young kids, thirteen um, year old girls kind of thing, and the phone went off, and I pulled it out. They
2: went, wow, what's that? <laughs> it's so small. This is the latest thing. You know, <laughs> chrome, small
0: thing. We are we are going back. I think it's going to loop back around to small phones again.
3: You know, smalls smalls good for me. I can just stick them anywhere, kind of stuff. You know, yeah. so, you know Otherwise, they start to have to go in a bag. Yeah. You know, stuff. Do you... Which I notice you have with... Yeah, you. we all have. We all, carry, yeah. we
0: all carry... We all carry dude have purses. To, yeah. yeah. Not me. What? Just a jacket. All right, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Just the hipster backpack. It's just a jacket. Yeah. Do you uh, like the amount of accessibility that we all have to each other now that we're so interconnected that people can track you down at any second?
3: Well, you know, I mean, I like it for people who want it. I don't want it. You know, but I am a special case. You know, when you kind of get famous... You don't want people to have availability to sure. you, you know, whereas anyone else is here. Oh, I'm going to, uh, you know, someone's Four Seasons restaurant tonight. I'm looking forward to it. Like, no way would I ever do that. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm going um, somewhere else tonight. I don't want you to know where hey, I'm going. Hey, did you see that
4: tweet? Paul's going to the Olive Garden again. <laughs> <laughs> he just never had the yeah, Olive Garden. when he's gar- really going to Outback <laughs> <stay again. laughs> No, that's
3: the truth, you know, but... Um, yeah, so I don't, I don't really get that accessible. I, I kind of try and keep out of it. Um, and the, the trouble is, you know, you don't want to look like a dinosaur. Sure. You don't want to look like someone who doesn't get the, this, these things called emails. Right. You know, but having said that, I don't like it. Uh, you know, I'll be in a restaurant and I'll see a, a couple and they're both on the phones. I want to go over to the guy and say, look, man, she is beautiful. Just put your phone away and look at her, talk to her, you know, same with her, you know. But you see that these days. All the time. And then yeah. someone said, we were talking about it, someone said, oh, they're probably asking each other what they're going to have.
0: <laughs> they're texting. <laughs> yeah, <what laughs> they can't have? look at each other know, in the eye.
3: Broccoli looks good. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I am a bit of a dinosaur. Like, I kind of walk along the street, no headphones, looking at New York, because I'm still a tourist. So I love it, you know. But, but it does mean I observe more than the average beast, probably.
0: Yeah. Do you is New York, do you do you live actually and live in New York most I, of the time? I have a place here, of yeah. course, In fact, upstairs. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Do you? Yeah. Uh, how is New York? to you? Do you? Is it? Is this a place you feel like? Oh, you know, if I had to if I had to pick one place to live, like this might be the place.
3: Uh, no, it would be uh, England, mm-hmm. you know, London or somewhere. But I do love New York. So I'm I'm lucky because I got a New York wife. So we split the time between the two, yeah. So I get the best of both worlds. But when was the uh, first
0: time you came here?
3: Um, with the Beatles uh, <laughs> in like in nineteen sixty. That that really was the first <laughs> that time. That was you've the been first time I've ever been to New York. Any of us, yeah. And it was mind blowing, you know, because not only were we coming to New York for the first time and like everyone looking up all the buildings and stuff, but we were on the radio. So, and, you know, it was a cool radio show Playing great stuff, mainly ours Yeah But, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, so it was a, it was a sort of out-of-body experience But it was very special
0: Wow, that's crazy So you've actually never been able to come to New York Just completely anonymously
3: No, it's true Wow no. And even now, you know, I think I'll put my jacket up With my coat and I'll get the shades on And I'll kind of push my hair back a bit First block, I go. Hey, Paul! <laughs> 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 yeah, you take a photo?
0: <clears throat> no. <laughs> how do they spot? How do they spot you? They just know. People just know. They can just sense. I it.
3: wonder about it. You know, I don't know. Man. You know, I'm, I was just thinking because I just walked a couple of blocks here because traffic's really bad, and I knew it was going to be late for you guys, so I just got out and walked. And I'm thinking, which bit? of me, is it? You know, I put my collar up,
2: so maybe it's not the chin bit. And I've
3: got shades on, so I think the hair might be a bit of a giveaway. hair could be a giveaway. Anyway, but uh, I don't mind. You know, I like walking around. I like meeting people. And I say maybe I don't always do photos. Because you know what? The trouble with me with photos is it's not me. I'm not me anymore. You know, as long as I'm me in the room with you guys, that's fine. But the minute I'm posing... I mean, we'll probably do a photo at the end of, of this. Of course. I <laughs> mean,
0: listen, I, I didn't want to trouble you, but if you would.
3: well, <laughs> you know, when you're posing on the street, you're that famous guy. Yeah. And suddenly, you know, I may not want to be him. I may just want to go into Starbucks. I may just want to go do a bit of Christmas shopping or something. So, um, yeah, so that's, that gets a bit. But I do it, you know, and I say to people, look, happy to chat with you. Shake hands. Let's just talk. And somebody said, you spend more time with them than you would for a photo. Why don't you just do a photo and get it over with? I said, because it robs me of me. Yeah. It changes. You know, I'm not, I'm not this guy I think I am inside. I'm that guy on the poster. So, you know, I, I hold to that more than a lot of people.
0: And also, when you, when one person stops you, then all of a sudden it starts to turn into this, like, horde of... and then Well, you, yeah, and that's then you, right. And then you don't get anywhere. But I'm interested to hear mm-hmm. about how the... What's the disparity between the guy in the poster and, you, and the guy that you think is inside? Um, he's very famous,
3: um, uh, and I'm not. I'm like just a dad. I'm like a granddad. You know, so that's the, that's a me, seems like me. I'm the guy who drops my youngest daughter off at school, talks to the school moms. That's me, you know, Um but then the next week I'll be in Rio in front of forty five thousand people. <laughs> That's him, and he's—I like him. Yeah, you know, but I prefer me. Yeah. So it's a thing. I've always done it. it. Really, at the beginning of the Beatles, I remember George and the Beatles saying to me, "Why would you go on a bus, man? You're crazy. You know, we've gone. We're beyond that." I said, "I like it." You know. I just like the feel of sort of you know, paying you fare. And I did it in New York. I, was, I came in from Long Island on the Jitney. You know what the Jitney is? No. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's a bus, <laughs> Okay, basically. And it comes in from Long Island. And uh, so I took it. And it was great because I had this long book I was reading. So I knew I had this three-hour journey. It was great you <laughs> know, book time. So I was feeling really good. And I got off in New York. But I I got dropped um, 10 blocks, 20 blocks too far away from where I was. So I knew I had to take the bus. Luckily, I had the right change, which I thought, (laughs) this is good. I've never got the right change. I had the right change, got on the bus. Of course, everyone is just sort of sitting there, like, pretending they haven't noticed me which is very cool, but commuters do that, you know. Except for this one lady, she starts shouting, Hey, you Paul McCartney? <laughs> <laughs> and I, like you, see, you see everyone else's shoulders there all We're going, that's the one. And I'm, so after I'm saying, yeah, I am. Why, what's going on? She, well, where are you? So in the end, I said, said, come over here. Stop shouting across the bus. Come here. So we had a great conversation. I, where are you going? I said, I'm going up to my office. I'm going to meet some people. I said, "Where are you going? I'm going to see my sister." Yeah. So <laughs> no, it was great, you know. I mean, I like that because yeah. it's still me. Well, and it's also it's a very, very yeah. You wow. know, I, I, I love that.
0: It's a it's a very human experience, and, and yeah. I would imagine that, y- that when people come up and they start freaking out, it can you can probably feel like ah no, I'm just a guy. You can just yeah. it's okay. Don't yeah. can you even remember a time when people weren't freaking out? In front yeah, of
3: sure. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely, you know, when, I don't know, it was up to about, when we were about 20, that I wasn't famous, so there's 20 years of unfame, and, uh, you know, I do remember like not being able to get in clubs and things, <laughs> that was not too cool, No, you know, then suddenly you're famous, oh, come in, you know, <laughs> this isn't so bad, yeah, this is the best seat in the house, you know. Um, and I once, actually, I got fed up with the fame after the first couple of years, around about when we did a film, Half, Hard Day's Night. And there were makeup people, and, and I said to them, give me a disguise. Think of a disguise. So they got a little mustache. <laughs> they got glasses that weren't kind of cool. And I put my hair back. And uh, I went on a holiday in France. I just drove myself just to get out of it all. I had a little Aston Martin. Very cool. And I just drove... Uh, through France, and I was, I was loving the experience until there was one night when I wanted to go to a club. There was a little thing. <laughs> yeah. and I, there was no entertainment, you know, in the hotel I was at. It was a little, little cheap hotel. So but I went to the club. And of course, as the disguise guy, no way was I getting in. <laughs> so I said, um, see if we we'll play. You know, and they're like, no, 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 no. So I went back to the hotel go came back as him. <laughs> oh, we're, we're Monsieur. Oh, entre. You know, it's like the, that proves the point. You know, yeah. So you know, it's a, it's a, it's a mixed blessing. You know, I'm very happy. Sure. You know, I'm glad. You know, to have both sides of it. But I must say, I do like the privacy.
0: Yeah, and so when you when you go to France to get away, at that point, it's only a couple of years in do you say, like, I don't know if I can do this anymore, or do you go, well, like, how do you refocus your brain, and how do you, how do you, because that can crush a lot of people.
3: Yeah, no, it's, I was, like, super conscious of that, because I think, you know, as a kid, I was one of these kids who would would get, like, on a bus, go a few stops, get off, take a look around. I I was always, you know, liking to just see people. It's like, I felt like I was an artist gathering Info, mm-hmm. you know, so I go, oh, this is good. I love that, you know. Um, yeah, so, th- so that was the thing, you know, that I was always very conscious of being just me, you know, that kind of very private guy. And when uh, the Beatles got famous, um, I thought, oh, wait a minute, this, this, this is going to get, we're getting really big now. So I thought, there's got to be somewhere where I'm going to be a, a bolt hole. So I went on holiday to Greece one time and nobody knew who I was. And, you know, again, I was trying to sell myself to the local band. we we were in this group, man, and it's really big back in England. They're going, yeah, you know, Calimera. um, So I thought, well, this is great because Greece will be the place where I can go, you know, and get away from it all. And then I go back to England, and a couple of months later, it was, you're number one in Greece. I was like, oh, no, you know. Yeah, Yeah, so... uh, but then, at that point, I thought I've got to make the decision. I've got to either quit this whole thing because I don't want to be that guy, mm-hmm. or I love music too much and I've just got to deal with it. And I made the latter decision. Yeah,
0: mm. I mean, when you're... we appreciate that decision. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> when you're, uh, are, are you? Would you consider yourself kind of a workaholic? Do you think? Do you think you need to be doing stuff at all times?
3: Uh, you know, I don't think so. I don't consider myself that I may be, people say I am. But you know, I point out that we don't work music, we play it. And I mean it sounds a little bit, you know, facetious, but I think it is true. Music is my hobby. So, you know, if now I had a chance to just have a couple of hours and go and write a song, I would be like really excited about that possibility of what it could be anything. You know, oh man, it could be like the greatest rock song ever. Or it could be a very sweet ballad. Let's see. You know, so I, just because I'm so excited by that, that's kind of what drives me. Just, um, I just love what I do, you know, I'm very lucky.
0: I have a friend named Liam, and he told this story. (coughs) Hi, Liam. (laughs) I think it might be true. Uh, But he said that, you like took over a school or something and, 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 and people, young musicians would come in and then you would work with them not just on working on their musical abilities but also trying to understand the business of music. At the same Yeah,
3: time. Um, my, the school I went to in Liverpool was called Liverpool Institute High School for Boys. There was a thousand boys in this school and I went there when I was 11 and then uh, on the way to school, one of the mornings, I met George Harrison who lived near me. So we were like schoolmates going to the school. So it was a very special place for me growing up. I really, I think I got a very good education free because it was a state school, Mm -hmm. you know, so my parents didn't have much money. So that was a kind of a really good thing. And then years later, after the Beatles fame, um, I went back there just to pay a little nostalgic trip and it was falling down. They'd, they'd uh, neglected it. The roof would, would kind of come off and the rain was coming in. And it was like parquet flooring. that was all like bubbling up and it was, it was really just going to drop, you know. So I started a campaign to save it because it was, it was built in 1825. So, you know, that's like wow. massively wow. historic. It's a big, famous Liverpool building, you know. So we did a big campaign. And we saved it and we, we made it into a performing arts school. So it's now called Liverpool Institute for the Performing Arts. And that's what your friend will be talking about, is that I go up there and um, talk to the kids, try and help the kids who are doing the songwriting Mm -hmm. course. The first thing I say to them is, I don't know how to do this. Because it's true. With songs, nobody ought to know how to do it. You know, because you you don't want a formula. So I, I, I listen to what they've been writing, make some suggestions. You know, maybe that second verse would work great as a first verse. And so we do that, a little one-on-one. So I do that, and uh, I go to the graduation, and I... You know, talk to the kids and stuff. But it's great. I really love it because not only did it save my old school, which is like very important for sure. me. I say to people, half the Beatles went there. <laughs> <laughs> you know. that's that's, that's important. <laughs> you know, so uh, yeah. So I go back and I do that. And but it's great working with the kids. You know, it's uh, it's good hearing because it's quite uh, various types of music they come up with. There'll be um, a kid from Norway who's like folky and he's going the sort of Dylan route. Mm-hmm. So that's nice to listen to. And then there'll be someone who comes in with a kind of hip-hop and a CD, dance music. It's good. You get all the kind of different types. And uh, we, we the school does really great. It actually pays for itself. Wow. Can you believe that? <laughs> wow. You know, these days when everything's got to be funded, the first couple of years it didn't, and I was having to put a lot of money into it just to keep it going. But I said to the guy, I said, look, it, if, it's, if it's good, it, it, it must pay for itself. Yeah, You know, I don't like all this sort of funding to see Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. If you want to go see Shakespeare, great, go and pay. That'll keep Shakespeare alive. But, you know, always funding him, it's like he's no good. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but if you fund him, he'll stay around. So anyway, I said to the guy, "Look, you know, we really got to try and make it pay." So he he really listened to me and and did great. So now it actually pays for itself, and the, so it, it's really good. And I go up there, and uh, I'm so glad that it's you know going, it's keeping going. And the kids who come out of there, I mean, what it's like? What can we teach? You know, we sat down early days and said, um, wh- "What can we do here?" You know, we can't teach them to be a John Lennon because that's you can't teach that right. can't teach you to be a, a, a Dylan that stuff just comes out of the woodwork somehow and we don't know how that happens but what we we'll do is we'll teach him like your friend said you know like um, in my case it's like music songwriting but they do acting dancing management business stuff and the great thing is um, what will happen is all the kids then interact so the songwriter will get the video people to make his video with them, and they'll use the stage people to light it. Yeah, it's really cool. And I go up there graduation, and it just gives me hope. In fact,
2: yeah. hope for the, for for the, the future. future. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, it's very how good. How do we get
4: around
3: to that? Yeah. <laughs> no, it is true that that is like really what I feel every time I go up there. You know, it's it's just so sort of cool. You see all these young graduates about to be. Unleashed on the world, and in our case, because we can't teach them to be Dylans, what we teach them is to to be people who can get work. Mm -hmm. So they often work in like the West End shows. Uh, There's one guy who who was into um, the rock and roll business, and uh, I I meet a lot of guys who who are doing that now, and they really they're well trained, you know, and they go and they come, they want to work. They don't have that kind of, uh, it's like, yeah, what are we doing? They're like, they're on it, you know? And I think that's about what we could teach. But I had a guy recently who was doing monitors for us. We were rehearsing and uh, had a couple of gigs. And he was really cool. Young guy, really on top of his game. So I said, wow, great, you know, keep my eye on this guy. And he was from Lippa. So next time we were going out. I said we've got to get this guy John. So and so, he was so cool. Said you can't have him. He's out with Coldplay. (laughs) (laughs) So you know, it it was good. So uh, yeah, but it's a really nice school. I love it. You know, the feeling there is very inspiring.
0: How do you so trying to understand the business of music? Which I mean, like, which seems now obviously it's changed and everything is splintered and it's all different and weird and there's so many different platforms. But when you started. Where all of a sudden you you guys were super successful, and then how did you were just dropped into this business, yeah. so how did you navigate that at the time, and how did that not how did that not get in the way?
3: Okay, you know um i I think about that because it's so not like that these days, but what it was was we had a little period in Liverpool where we were pre fame, just kids mm-hmm. knocking around guitars just doing what you do when you're trying to be in a group you know then we had a quite a big period in hamburg we got this engagement over in hamburg uh, and there we would work something like sometimes like 8 hours a day you know in shifts you you certainly would work 5 in an evening but then on the weekend sometimes it stretched right into the morning you know and you so you work long hours and being kind of um young guys who were kind of interested in what was going on you know we liked the new films the new books the new records the new this and that we would get really bored over those eight hours churning out the same 10 songs that we knew 20 songs that we knew so we learned lots and lots of things so when when we got back from Hamburg we had quite a lot of experience in dealing with audiences in taking audiences from nothing to the club was filled. You know, those are all great training things. You really, literally, we played this place called the Indra. Um, I think it means India in, in German. And um, it, w- there was nobody in there. And so we were, like, really having to, was the, 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 the people hold the sign up on my sh- uh, at my shows now, because the the guy, the Geschäftsführer, uh, we're like the manager guy of the club. He said, "Make show, Max show." you know, make show.
2: Oh. <laughs> make
3: show. And we go, what's that? What's he mean? You know, but we had to l- gradually learn how to do that. Because you, you'd see a couple of students at the, at the door and they come in and we go, this is our kind of, these are our people, you know. And we'd just be playing. But they'd look at the beer price. And they go, nah. <laughs> you know, that's what matters at that age. And they'd go out, so we thought, no, we've really got to capture them. Even So we learned, you know, we see them, we'd nod each other and go, dance in the (laughs) streets, dance, clapping your hands, moving, doing this. We were so great. We are vital. You've got to come in. Don't worry about the beer price. (laughs) Share one beer all evening, but come in. And we gradually built that. So it was jam-packed by the time we'd finished that engagement. So we learned so much. So in answer to your question, we learned because we were like, interested guys yeah we were looking around at what what was going on and we were sussing it and and learning so then when it came to be minor fame we really kind of looked around and saw how to handle that and, and because we had the strength of the union with the four of us sure we were like if one of us was a bit off color the others would help you know so it was always you always had the guys to fall back on which was a great thing But by the time we got into major fame over here, let's say on the Ed Sullivan Show, we were like fully formed. We were like a fully formed beast Mm -hmm. with four heads. (laughs) And we kind of knew how to do it. But nobody over here knew that we knew that. So they saw us in this one broadcast on Ed Sullivan Show. People go, what the, where did they come from? Well, we've we been really working at it real hard. So as I say, I do say to kids these days you know, try and get that experience if you can. Just p- try and play loads of clubs sure. or one club a lot. But just try and do loads of things. So by the time you're propelled to, uh, you know, X-factor stardom, if that's how it's going to be, you'll know what's going on. Sure. You'll have a clue that, you know, this is what I must do. I must make a good record. I must write a good song. I must not be taken in by the whole thing of fame. I must try and keep my feet on the ground, you know. And we we had a lot of time to learn those things, which I think some of the kids today, uh, who are propelled instantly, overnight into mega TV fame, I think they have a bit of a problem with it. It's like, how are you going to deal with that? You know.
0: Yeah, it's weird, and and mm-hmm. the success is very much I think. Maybe you disagree, but I feel like it, it probably makes sense that it's sort of the preparation meeting opportunity you had all these all this time to prepare, and then that one opportunity and it just yeah. those two things just collided and yeah. it and it worked, yeah, but oh, go ahead, sorry
3: no no, no, well that's it you know it is true that uh, I feel very happy to have had that kind of i think of it as a staircase, you know by the time we hit big in America, we'd been on this staircase quite a lot, yeah, and we'd seen you know. We started off in tiny little clubs. (laughs) Then there were like bigger clubs. Then there was the Hamburg thing, and then we came back. And then there were like theaters and ballrooms. Then there was radio. Then there was little TV shows. So you know, you were gradually just getting a little bit more up the staircase, a little bit more experience. Every time you went to a TV show, you saw how they did it. You saw how the guys lit it and how where they put you and you know, how to be with the techs and the the guys, you know, and just how to find your way through it and navigate it, as you said. So I feel very lucky for that experience.
0: It's interesting to hear that it's not, I mean, that very little of it is an accident, you know, even just just the fact that you guys had the awareness to go, okay, this is where we light the best, this is where we should move this way the best, if we're Mm. playing this size room, that you basically, you boiled this, you know, the expression was artistic, but you actually boiled down the science of, yeah. of figuring out how to do it.
3: Yeah, I think so. You know, I mean, you got to remember, I mean, we were quite smart, the Beatles, he said modestly.
4: <laughs> 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 but we
3: were, you know, we weren't sickheads. We were quite, you know, John was well-educated. He went to a grammar school. Me and George did, too. Ringo didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> Ringo, you know, university of life <laughs> Well, you know, in his case, I mean, the thing was Like, he was very ill when he was a kid He had peritonitis uh-huh. Which is, like, life-threatening His mum was told he wouldn't live So Ringo was, like, an incredible survivor, you know Yeah. Uh, so he didn't go to school but virtually He was, like, in hospital all the time, oh, you wow. know, so so when he got out, but you meet him now, he's a very clever guy. But it's, it's self-taught. It's not college-taught. But the rest of us, you know, were, I mean, you know, we were doing Shakespeare, Chaucer, you know, doing stuff. And, you know, taking exams and stuff. So by the time we left all that behind and, and got in a group, we, we had, you know, some background. Um, I had a really good English literature teacher at school, one of those guys who gets kids and you know knew how to reach us because mm-hmm. at that point we were 16 year old Liverpool guys who didn't really want to know you know Yeah, it's like we had to go to school so alright teach me but I don't like this you know but he, he reached me and he was a very cool guy so I, I got a love for this thing and I actually you know did quite well in, in the exam um, because of him um, he was teaching me Chaucer and you know that's like old English, right? Here quimpel it was, and for like Liverpool guys, go what? <laughs> <laughs> what? He said, no, let me explain it to you, you know, and he'd break it down, he'd show, show the English translation and stuff. So I got kind of fascinated by it all, and then I thought later on, you know, when we got in the Beatles and started becoming writers, me and John particularly, and then George and Ringo later. Um, When we started writing, I always thought that that stuff in my education kind of vaguely informed What I was doing because I'd been forced to read a lot of poetry i had been forced to learn stuff out of Shakespeare, you know, just because I had to take an exam. So I had to learn it Um, But I thought later, you know, it was kind of cool. So I kind of know You know and you kind of know how things flow and that, I think that kind of fell into my songwriting.
0: Sure, that you were able to take this kind of classical structure and shake it up mm. and make it fun and a little, yeah. a little messy around the edges. And Yeah. Do, I, I mean, I, I hope this isn't a weird question, but my generation, like watching the Ed Sullivan footage, we just see it as two-dimensional black and white. Yeah. Is there any way you can describe what it looked like? To, like what, was, what yeah. was that three-dimensional experience?
3: Oh, yeah. Uh, Well, I mean, first of all, you know, it was four young guys coming to New York uh, onto this show that we had no idea how big it was, because we didn't know who Ed Sullivan was. Sure. Didn't know who Walter Winchell was. Didn't know who Ed Morrow was. You know, these were all like American famous people. So we'd kind of looked into all of that. Um, But yeah, so we ended up at the Ed Sullivan Theater and to us it was like just a high rise in england we'd gone to tv studios but they'd been kind of purpose-built low-rise things by the river
2: right little
3: little places you know little like little like little film studios (laughs) suddenly it was like it was just like it looked like a tenement building you go up in the in the lift and go up to one floor and where the studio is then come down to another floor for the makeup and um No, it it was incredible, you know, because it was smaller than we thought it was. It was 3D. (laughs) It was in color. (laughs) What? Uh, And it seemed to us very modern. You know, that's like, you know, about all history. You know, when you were a kid... You look back at your photos now. You go, my God, it's so long ago. Right. But of course, at the time, you thought, Wow, I love these new jeans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, these are so yeah. hip. Uh, so we <laughs> thought it was like really amazing. Um, little things would happen, like we were told to go and get makeup, and we're sitting in the makeup chairs, and we're going, I don't really like makeup. You know, we'd rather not. You know, we're guys. We'd rather not do this. And the the girl said, Trust me. You know, I know this show. I know the lighting. Let me do you. So she did. It and we were like, all come out orange. And we we're like, oh, my God, this is going to be terrible. She said, no, trust me, you know, I know. I work this show every week. So we went out with these orange faces <laughs> <laughs> in, this, <laughs> in this little place with a curtain, big curtain. And sure enough, when you look at it now, it doesn't look orange at all. No. It doesn't, like, like, really necessarily look like we've even got makeup on. <laughs> but, uh, no, it was very 3D, very exciting for us. And I say these curtains were, were there, um, which was always kind of kind of a thrill stroke, frightening experience, but to come out from behind curtains, you know, suddenly <laughs> you haven't just ambled on like I do in my show now. and yeah. just just going to get to see people. And so you suddenly you're revealed, you know, and I had this one moment where I was for the first time in the whole history of the group, I was going to sing this one song solo, because we'd done this record call yesterday, mm-hmm. and um, I said it was just me. So suddenly I was there, standing with my, my guitar behind these curtains, and um, this guy comes up, was one of the curtain holders, you know, to make sure they don't snag there's always a guy on the inside yeah. of those curtains. <laughs> See, you didn't know that. I didn't know that. Showbiz, baby. There's,
0: some, there's a guy on the other side who has an amazing story about the time he pulled the curtain is for the exactly? first time on the yeah, Beatles. it does.
3: And, and I have an amazing story about him because he said to me, I'm standing there, there's two seconds to go. And he just says, are you nervous? I said, no, you know, lying, because yeah. I, I was, just a little bit. But, you know, at that age and you know, at that kind of stage, of things, I could control it. And I, I look at the thing now. I don't look nervous. Anyway, I said, no, I'm not. He said, you should be. The 73 million people watching. <laughs> I go, oh,
2: thank you.
3: <laughs> the curtain's open. I'm there. I'm on. Live in front of 73 million people singing this song. I'm wondering why I haven't fainted.
0: <laughs> but in that experience, it probably just feels like you're in a club with a bunch of weird machines Staring at you, right?
3: Well, to some degree, yeah. But, you know, when a guy points out you're not, you're on TV.
2: Um,
3: No club is that well (laughs) (laughs) lit. And then, of course, you know, the thing was the kids. What you don't see too much on the TV stuff is the audience, which is a lot of screaming kids. Yeah. Uh, And that was good for us um, because those were our people. So even though we were in a, a TV studio in famous New York, in famous Ed Sullivan's program, we could still relate to these people who were screaming because these were our fans. And so that kind of took the edge off it a bit. Yeah. We kind of knew what to do with them. Yeah. You know, whereas if it had just been no audience, I think it would have been, like, much more nerve-wracking.
0: Sure, and probably a little more sedate or a little... I mean, can you... Mm. if, If you're playing and there's no audience, which I'm sure you've had to do before, do you... Do you pretend like there's an audience right there or do you play do you just sort of play to the camera the sort of intimacy of the camera
3: You know um, I think a bit of both I think you you try and pretend there's an audience there but you you realize there isn't <laughs> So you go oh, come on just get on with it uh, you know each situation is different and you just deal with it uh, as it is kind of thing you know yeah. yeah
0: How do you define in your mind how do you, First of all are you hard on yourself
3: Yeah yeah uh, I think a lot I think most people are yeah you know I mean like I say 20 years before the Beatles was me growing up and yeah you know you never think you are good. you know you never think you're good and I sometimes think now I think I really ought to think I'm fantastic (laughs) because you know look I've got this pile of achievements yeah and I really ought to think come on Paul that was really good, you know. But I'm still going. Oh, I'm a shit kicker. <laughs> uh. And then, can I ever? Can I do it? I had a friend who was a very famous orchestrator in the classical world, and he said to me once. He said, "You know, my biggest fear." I said, "What?" He said, "Being found out."
0: Oh yeah, of course. The and this is, I, and I
3: talk to people. I, in fact, a lot of people have that, and it doesn't matter how great they are. There still is. This, I think it's a human condition. Sure. It's just a weird little thing in you there. In a way, it's good because it makes you try. I think in a way, I wouldn't like to just sort of think, you know how cool I am. <laughs> I don't, I just lift a finger and it's great. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm pretty hard on myself. You know, if I don't think I did a good show or something, I'll, I've learned to get soft on myself mm-hmm. after the hard experience. Sure. <laughs> So very sexual,
0: <laughs> but um, <laughs> well, at least oh, it was after the hard experience. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. you don't what what want I mean. the soft one first. Oh no! Bad. no, it's no. <laughs> <fine>. But, <laughs>
3: but uh, no, I still find that though. In one of the songs off my latest album, is everybody's doing better than me? Yeah. You know, I'm, I I really do think that, and it's crazy. And I have to like argue with myself and say, that's probably not true. <laughs> but you think it, but I, you know, you talk, you hear artists call like self-loathing. Sure, as an expression, I only heard in the last couple of years. You think it's kind of sad. I mean, they're, they're, they're like amazing people, like you know, someone. I think it was Lady Gaga saying talking about self-loathing. It was like, but you're singing great. Yeah, you can do it. You know, you write great. She's done some great stuff, and yet she's still got this little inner core, like we all have, and we all had growing up, and. And the guys or, or girls who think they're great aren't, right? You know, it's the sort of great guy in high school most likely to succeed, <laughs> and he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's like suddenly this old lawyer. Hey,
0: that right? Did you ever have, was there ever like a bully that you that was like your your local bully? that then after you guys made it, that he was like, hey, you know, I was always rooting for you. You're like, no, you
3: weren't. You used to kick me in the head. <laughs> yeah, no, luckily, there wasn't too much of that, actually. you know, I mean, it's like a lot of people. You kind of you joke your way out of it. There were situations like that. And I had a couple of situations where, you know, I got kind of like what you'd call mugged now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just a couple of tougher, bigger guys were like, there's no way I could take them. right? And so they had my watch. You know, just like, but I reported them, man. Yeah, you showed them. They went to court. You yeah. got done for
0: it. <laughs> Meet the system, jerk. Yeah. Uh, so how do you how do you define um, how do you define success for yourself? Then, I mean, in sort of keeping this balance, and like when you when you play a show, how you, what is it about that show that makes you go, okay, I think I did a, I did a good job? Is it audience reaction or something that you do personally? What is it? Uh, for me, it's probably if I think I sang
3: great. You know, I've got a lot of challenging songs. Um, if I sing something like Maybe I'm Amazed, mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty challenging vocally. There's, like, sort of quite a few high notes and there's, there's stuff that I've got to make it sound real. Mm-hmm. I've got to really feel it. You know, I can't just go, maybe I'm amazed. I can't fake it and go, Wah! I've got to, like, really get that note, you know. So if I think I've done good, that's probably the best for me, I sort of think, you know, quietly. You know, the guys in the band say, Good singing, man. I go, Thank you. I <laughs> dimple shyly. But, you know, I think that's kind of what it is for me. And then there's audience reaction. Sure. That's really important, you know. And uh, luckily, Touchwood these days, um, we have fantastic reaction, you know. I would say, I was just talking to my promoter, actually, we're going to do some shows in Japan. And I'd say to him you just put one show on sale right just see if it sells out then you put the next one on just don't put three yeah. on right and and have it like be slow so I'm I'm very aware of that you know but um once you do once he rings me back and says you know Sao Paulo just sold out, man, 10 minutes, 45,000 tickets. I go, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And so I will go down to Sao Paulo and I will be able to look at our audience and go, you really wanted to see me, didn't you? Yeah. You know, every one of you, man, you really worked at it. (laughs) And it took you 10 minutes. So I I get, uh, it it gets a lot of confidence. Yeah. Probably too much. I've now taken to being, you know, totally...
1: Overconfident On
3: stage <laughs> But I don't mind it Because you know You learn This is what Some kids will say to me What's what, Have you got any advice and I say well When I was young I was like Terrified I, I su- assumed Everyone in that audience Hated me And I had to prove them Wrong You know They you, They all thought You're a bad singer You look Crap You don't know How to play that guitar No 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 And I've really got to Go some To make them like me You know but when you get these sellouts and stuff, it's a little more I can now say to myself, No, they like you. It's okay. You know, it's, <laughs> it's gonna be good. So I will go out there and, and really have a good time, you know, and think, These are friends.
0: Yeah. When you're uh when you're playing a lot of different instruments, like you learn to play pretty much everything. Mm. Do, do you use no, a
3: few, you know, yeah. But, a few, yeah.
0: a few. But uh what is it that, you know, when you're when you're when you're working, especially back then, what is it that you're working for? Is it just for the for the art of music, or is it like I have to get better, I have to get stronger, I have to get fat? Like, is there is there a person in your head or something that you're striving for? That you want to know the
3: truth? Back then, money. Same as what everyone's working for. Yeah, it's money. I mean, we were poor kids, not not that poor, but you know, I, we could, I couldn't afford a car. No one in my family had a car. I was like the first one. To get a car in my whole family,
0: wow. so
3: you know, you are like probably now, the
0: first one to get knighted in your whole family too.
3: That's true.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> extremely <laughs> true. Yeah,
3: but um, you know, so that that was the thing. You know, that uh, it, it was it was money. You know, and we all were perfectly uh, admitted that, and, it, and there was no shame to that. It's like that's why people get jobs. Yeah, to get themselves some money to buy a house, to buy a car, and in our case, a guitar. Mm-hmm. You know that was what it was. Guitar first, car next, and maybe house. And you know, me and John used to sit down, and we I'd go around to his house, and we'd sit down and we'd write a song. We'd say, okay, now we we start to write a song. We said, okay, now let's like let's write a swimming pool.
0: <laughs> <laughs> What's the swimming pool song?
3: Yeah. <laughs> is what there? is it? I don't know, man. But um, we would we would think like that, you know, because. And now it's become a little bit more shameful to think like that. Oh, come on. You don't really do it for money, do you? <laughs> I mean, and now I, I don't. Yeah. But, um, but certainly in the beginning, it was money and girls, sure. to tell you the truth. Sure. It was like, you know, we couldn't get arrested on the girls scene till we got in a group and we had no money. I mean, my first job, it really sounds like my grandparents talking. My first job was £7.15 a week. What's that, like $15 yeah. a, a week, you know? So, yeah, so we wanted money, man. I wanted more than $15. And uh, so that that was the early motivation. Sure. And then the nice thing was because it started to get kind of f- fun to do and artistic, that then that became the next uh, reason to do it. Sure. It was like, this is really cool, man. Wait a minute. You know, we've done... Uh, You know, that such and such a song. Now, maybe I could do something like about loneliness and old ladies. Okay, yeah. So I did Eleanor Rigby, you know. And I'm going, oh, yeah, this is cool. So maybe what about someone leaving home? Or then I'll (laughs) write, she's leaving home. So you started then to just be
0: into it for the joy of the art. But at first
3: it was not that. It was pure
0: money. Did you you feel any uh, superstition about oh, we got to protect this thing, or did you feel free? Like, I think if we do anything, it's going to work.
3: Yeah, no, we were we – were, um, I think the great thing about us is we were four intelligent guys who were really interested in this world we were growing up in. It was post-war, uh, World War Two, because sure. our parents had been in the war. My dad was, like, in Liverpool. I was getting bombed, and my mom was, you know. And I often think, geez, you know, what, they're having a baby in the middle of all that? <laughs> and there's me, like, in, in my cot crying. And there's, like, Hitler sending <laughs> bombers. And Liverpool got bombed. Yeah, Seriously, you know. So, uh, yeah, so it was that generation, the, 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 our parents, who'd been very fearful and then been very glad to get out of that. So then it was sing songs, uh, your troubles in your roll kid
2: bag. Yay. Come on.
3: <laughs> let's have some fun, you know? So they, then things got better for them and obviously for us, consequently, cause we were the kids of that. Um, and then suddenly there was this time when, um, rock and roll arrived, which then was really very liberating. And it was like, Oh wow, this is seriously good. Soul arrived. Um, you know, a lot of American music that we were listening to. So uh, then it just it blossomed, you know, and then it was just pure joy to be part of that and to realize that you'd escaped this whole sort of thing that they'd been in. And now you could actually uh, make your own way. So, so, so th- everything was interesting. The theater that was going on, these, these were kind of great productions at the time in London, so you could go to them. The movies that were coming out, is was like James Bond, early Bond things, um, the music coming over from America, particularly the soul and the R&B and the Motown and rock and roll before that. So um, we, we were just sort of fascinated by all of that. And I think that's what it was. We didn't want to get bored with what we were doing. Cause we saw all this great stuff going on. So we just thought, well, if we're going to make music, we don't want to just churn it out. Mm-hmm. It doesn't want to be the same record, and then the same record almost, but a little bit better, <laughs> and then the same record after that, and backwards. You know, it was like, yeah, backwards. Okay, <laughs> we could do that. <laughs> Whatever, you know. So we were kind of grasping for ideas, and we wanted each song, and the Beatles, if you listen to it, every song on an album is, like, different. Yeah. And particularly mm-hmm. as we go further on, you know, you've got to, You get quite a sort of variety of styles. And it was just because we we wanted to play with all these angles to keep ourselves interested. You know, we wanted to do stuff that had good lyrics because we didn't want to sing bad lyrics. Yeah. You know, so it was really, it was kind of selfish in a way, but in a good way. It was, you know, keeping yourself
0: fascinated by the world you were in. Well, I think that's really that's a, that's really important, especially in success. Because I think a lot of times success makes people scared because yeah. they don't want to they don't want to lose the thing that they have. Yeah, and so they stop taking risks and they stop experimenting. But it sounds yeah. like. For some reason, you guys had the opposite thing of like, oh no, this is the time to yeah. you know play a saloon, like to do to make a Rocky Raccoon song, or to do like to just play with different yeah. instrumentation and different orchestration.
3: Yeah, yeah well, th- that really was what it was, and we never felt that kind of uh, oh, you've got a formula, stick with it. It was like you've got a formula, get rid of it. Yeah, you know, it was the absolute opposite, and uh, so we kept ourselves entertained. And it, it was, we would have really felt like we were really doing something radically wrong if we hadn't moved forward. You know, and I, before every album we used to make, I would play the last album to remind myself where I was up to. Oh, wow. That's and interesting. just play the whole thing and go, okay, that's where we're up to. Now we've got to get better. <laughs> and we can't do that. So we've got to do something different now. And then just try. And so you, that's what happens with the Beatles stuff. The progression is quite um, interesting. Yeah. Really. And it was just because we just didn't want to bore ourselves, you know. And uh, I mean, something like a song like yesterday, I'd written it. Um, actually, the melody came to me in a dream. It was a crazy story. But, so I had this thing that I thought was kind of magical melody. Um, and once I'd finished up the song, I took it to our producer, George Martin. And he said, um, I, by now, you see, it was catching. So he was getting into this. Oh, let's do something new. So he, he came along with us. You've got to give him credit for that. He didn't kind of keep trying to pull us back. Oh, come on. You don't please, please me. It's a big hit. Let's do You Please Me. that. would be, be great, you know. Uh, and so we were, we, you know, I said, well, here's this song yesterday. He said, oh, he came to me the next day. He said, I've had an idea to put a string quartet on it. I said, oh, no way, man. String quartet. I like classical. I said, we're a rock and roll band. You know, we, we couldn't do that. He said, and very wisely, he said, let me just try it, because I'd recorded the voice and the guitar, like in one take, uh, two takes actually, but they used the first one. So, um, so we had that, and he said, I want it. He said, so if it doesn't work, you don't like it, we can just take it off. So I said, okay, that's fair enough, that's a deal. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we did it, and I loved it. It was kind of, you know, sent tingles down my spine. It was like, oh, wow. And, you know, this, again, this was another little lift in what we did. So then after that, I did Eleanor Rigby, used the same kind of idea, but like instead of a quartet, now it was an octet, and it was different, more rhythmic. But that's what it was, you know, just getting excited with what you did and thinking, this could be even more exciting. So let's do that. Wow. You know, and then you found yourself on this kind of staircase.
0: So when uh, with wings, did you feel like this is a, a, a new, a brand new progression, or do you feel like starting from here and then it's just an extension of the staircase?
3: No, it really had to be a brand new thing because I, you know, I was very conscious of you don't follow the Beatles. <laughs> you know, anyone who'd ever tried to in our career, even to this day, anyone who says we are the next Beatles—that's is dead. Yeah. You know, Oasis did it yeah. and said we are going to be the next Beatles, we're going to be bigger than the Beatles. And I thought, oh, we
2: shouldn't have no, said that. You're, uh, up until that Oasis, last.
3: you're good. Yeah. I was in your corner, but yeah. <laughs> that is not the thing to say. Now you've got to go and prove it. Yeah. You know, and it's like, don't say it. Just think it and be well, it. But uh, yeah. Well, I also, but I think that
0: it's that's that's such a flawed statement because I mean, there were so many. Almost astrological elements that came together, it seems like. It wasn't – a lot of it, of course, was you know, your preparation and the, and the, and the talent and the, and the foresight and the planning. But there was also this accidental technological revolution and social revolution and political revolution mm-hmm. and just all these things that converged on you know, at one point in yeah. time. That yeah. I don't know how that gets replicated.
3: Well, no, exactly. Um, also, it like historical because, as I said, you know, post-war, our parents feeling the relief of peace. Yeah. And then us growing up in that. And then suddenly being able to be artists at this young age in this scene that was feeling it too. All the painters, all the sculptors, all the theatrical people, all the actors, the directors were all feeling it. And you were in this town with all these people. So you'd go to parties and, you know, you'd meet with Kenneth Tynan or Harold Pinter or, you know, Peter Hall or whatever, sculptors, painters, Richard Hamilton. You'd hang out with all these guys. So it, it was very uh, exciting, the interaction, you know. So, um, like, you know, getting Richard Hamilton to do the cover of what became known as the White Album. Sure. Um, which, like, there's no cover. <laughs> <laughs> yes what a great idea but um, it was so exciting you know working with him I, I spent a week with him and I rang the guys I said well, I've got this idea to go see Richard because uh, I knew him through a friend of mine who was a gallery owner um, Robert Fraser and um, I said I want to go and see Richard and see if he's got any ideas and stuff." so I spent the week just driving up to his house studio and Talking to him saying what do you think? You know, he said well did it a little he said have you got some photos? Can you get me photos of, of the of the guys just get everyone to get photos of them as kids or whatever they want Send in family photos and stuff. So I've I rang everyone. Can you get this together? I took them into him and then he started to assemble them on this easel uh, as a collage uh, And it was to be a poster that we were going to put in the album and he did it at the correct size he didn't do it bigger and reduce it or smaller and enlarge it. He did it exactly the same size. And so I learned some great lessons So talking about this interfacing with these other great artists in the other fields. Um, the great lesson I took away from that was he stuck all these photos on there in a great collage. And right at the end of it, he took little bits of white paper and he stuck them on too. I said, why are you doing that? He said, it's negative space. I went, well, how do you mean? He said, you, you kind of will look through the poster. He said, you see, otherwise, it's too dense. All these pictures, too much info. He said, these little bits of negative space are really important. And if you look at it now, the poster that came with the White Album, it's so true. And I, you know, he would explain to me, you know, if you're drawing someone, if you're drawing someone like that with their arm cocked and the sort of hands on their hip. Right. Um, You can draw the hand and the arm and everything, but the space in between the body and the elbow, that's really important. Yeah. That's like crucial. You get that right. And, you know, I'm I'm looking at you then, seeing that space. And he knew that. So it was was great, you know, just to be hanging out with those guys. And then he comes up, he says, has there ever been an album called The Beatles? I said, well, no. It's like Meet The Beatles or Introducing The Beatles or Please Please Me or whatever. He said, well, you should, or Robert Sowell or something. He said, well, you should do that. So that's actually is the official title of it. Um, And uh, he said, said, we should number them like an art edition. (laughs) So you imagine the record company loved to hear that. Yeah, love. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) We want to number them, man. (laughs) You can't do that. Well, you keep telling us we can't do that with everything we bring you. You know, Sergeant Pepper cover was another one, but it was good. It was good to kind of fight them.
0: They fought on that too. Yeah,
3: like- you know, we came up with this idea. I, I, at the time, I, I was a, a bit of the ideas man with that kind of stuff. I would, I would say, we should call ourselves Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band to get away from being the Beatles. We're like, you know, we're, we're pressured by our own identity. So, if we pretend we're someone else, we can go in and you can walk up to the microphone and think, Well, I'm not John Lennon, so it doesn't matter. I'm a member of this fictitious band. And it really worked. It kind of freed us. It was like, We can do anything, man. You know, it was like so cool. It was not like, What would the Beatles do? What should we do? What would our fans expect? It was like, We can do anything. Um, So, yeah, on that cover, I thought, We'll just have a group will have us surrounded by like our idols so i asked the guys to write a list of whoever you liked and uh, in george's case it was kind of eastern mystics mm-hmm. and um our other case was like buster keaton um einstein no it was just whoever we thought was cool and we just had this list and then we were just going to picture ourselves in there and um it was going to be a floral clock, which was a thing they had up north in the, in the parks and the recreation areas. They always made a big clock for some reason out of flowers. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I still do it at the entrance
4: to Disney World. There's a big. Yeah, there Disney is World. a flower yeah.
0: clock. Yeah. You
3: know, I yeah. love that idea. It just was like eternal. Yeah. <laughs> the time is always this, you know. Uh, so I put together the idea, and then uh, it was Robert Fraser, a friend of mine, um, got. Got uh, Peter Blake, the British artist, to uh, to do it, and he took it to a new level, you know. And he, he he put other things in there, so that was that was really good. But then I had to go to the record company and say, okay, how do you like it? Here's the cover. And they freaked. They went, oh my god! I said you've got people like Marlon Brando on there. He's never going to give permission. <laughs> I say he will. He will. They said, no, we're going to get sued, you know. Uh, how are we going to get through? They've got to get clearances on all of this. I said, look, I'll tell you what you do. And I would always talk to this guy, the head of the label. It was a real great guy called uh, <laughs> Sir Joseph Lockwood. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Sir Joe. You know, but he was a very nice guy. Yeah. And for some reason, I sort of had this good thing with him. I could get on with him. So I could just treat him. Hey, Joe, come on, man. Listen, I've got to do this. And he said, we're going to get sued. I said, look, just write a letter to all the people say, the Beatles want to do this cover and they'd love to use your image, would you mind? And, he, and what happened was, he said, oh, okay, you know. And he did, they did that. And um, all the letters came back, sure, fine, no problem. Except for one guy who was out of um, the Bowery Boys. <laughs>
2: <laughs> there
3: was a, there was a, have you ever seen an old black yeah, and white thing? Boys, like yeah, that, you yeah. know, seen Those them? guys, the Bowery Boys. Yeah, the Bowery boys. Yeah. And there was one guy, this dark-haired guy, who didn't want to do it, and so we thought, screw him. You know, he, he's out. So <laughs> he just got replaced. <laughs> <laughs> but um, one of the other guys did it. So that was enough. We only needed one. One of the
4: Bowery Boys. You got a Bowery boy. You, you got a Bowery a boy. boy <laughs> that's all we needed. <laughs> but yeah, no,
3: there was always that, you know. And I say on the on the the white album. We had problems on that, too. But it was great, you know, because we we could always, and we were, we were by then in a position of power. Sure. Because they knew we were going to sell. Right. And that's really what our label cares about. Right. <laughs> you know, they don't care about the art. Right. Uh, so uh, so I could always say, it's going to be great. Don't worry, man. And uh, so, yeah, so they did, on the, on the White Album, we're talking about them numbering the editions. They did up to, I think, 5,000. Oh, wow. They, they did number them. Yeah. And I said, look, I mean, if you've got, you've got a factory and there's like a little myelometer on the end of a conveyor belt, and it just tells you how many packages you got that day. So I said, just let, make that thing, and, you know, emboss, just get, a, get, get someone to figure it out.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's
3: going to work. <laughs> it will work. <laughs> so they did it, you know, and uh, it was brilliant. Yeah. And so some people have like, you know, early numbers. Yeah. oh no. yeah, I saw
4: number
0: seven go up on eBay uh, yeah. like last year, and it went for like really? $8,000. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, you know, my yeah. cousin might have ha- my, when I was growing up, my cousin, my dad, my dad's sister's son, had the most extensive collection of Beatles memorabilia. Like an entire, he had basically turned an entire room in their house, and he had so much stuff. And my aunt got super religious all of a sudden was like this is w- w- worshipping a false idol and oh. she made him sell all of it oh. and then oh. to this day he's so like he's Brilliant. tried to recreate the yeah. collection but then I think he might have had I think he might have had like I I really, why didn't that? you hide some of that shit she wasn't gonna find <laughs> it what are you doing <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. no when you uh, no she's religious she would find it she would <laughs> <Yeah>. find <laughs> God would find that. it yeah. <laughs> Jesus told me last night yeah. that you yeah, hid that album under your mattress that's right uh yeah, was it a strange experience uh, all of a sudden being relatively autonomous with Wings where you don't, it's like, oh, I don't really have to, this is just me. Like, is that more pressure or was it, did you feel like, oh, yeah, this is liberating?
3: Yeah, you know, it was, uh, it was a pressure. Like I say, you know, nobody follows the Beatles and um, so I was very conscious of that. So it was like, the question then was, do you give up and just don't stay in music or do you love music so much you've got to keep going? And that, became the answer and I just love it so much and I actually saw Johnny Cash on TV uh, with a couple of guys he would put together I think it was the Folsom Prison thing mm-hmm. and it was Kyle Perkins uh, who we admired and a couple of great people in his band and I just thought whoa Johnny's back he's just yeah. he's come back man and I was so inspired by seeing that band I thought you know what I've got i I've got to try and put a band together um, so my feeling was to not put together a big super group and come in at the level of the Beatles I just thought well the Beatles started as nothing. So I've got to start as nothing And uh, you know, that was a tough decision and it was like I made things difficult for myself because <laughs> you know, because people would say oh, they're no good I say, yeah. We unfortunately we've got to go through a period of being no good, sure, in order to learn how to be good with this band. And the one thing we can't do is do stuff like the Beatles did. So I, I promoters would go be crying. I mean, said, would you please do one Beatles song? I said, no. We are Wings. We do not play <laughs> Beatles songs. You know, it was only later when I became comfortable with the success of Wings, sure, that I thought, oh, I can, I can do Beatles songs. It doesn't matter now. But at first. It was very uh, difficult situation, but um, you know we 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 did it. We we really came from tiny clubs. We played. Uh, we went around to universities, and we just we didn't tell them we were coming. We showed up in a van, <laughs> <laughs> with like, and it just we knock on the student union. Say, do you want to have Paul McCartney playing here tomorrow? The guy would go. You're kidding me? And so, yeah, he'd have to come out to the van. And I'd have to go, hi.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and so,
3: well, we would play. Um, so, we really came up from the bottom again, you know, really gradually, did what we'd done with the Beatles. Uh, I just felt for some reason I had to do that. And um, it was only years later, by 76, that we finally could come to America as a fully formed band sure. and really play big shows. And kind of know what we were doing. But till then, yeah, it was it was quite a pressure.
0: Wow. It's, you know, time and time again, when I hear about people who have sustained success, that it, it is about, when you boil it down, it's just making it about the work and nothing yeah. else.
3: Well, you know, that's the thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm lucky because the work is play. Yeah, You know, the, what, what my work is intense, but in the end, it's still playing an instrument. It's still... Something joyful,
0: but even if even if it's a song you played like over and over and over and you can yeah. still find new joy and playing. Yeah, it. You that, don't is, go, oh.
3: that is very strange because you know I I wonder about that. You know, because there are certain songs that I feel the audience wants to hear, so I include them and they work. You know, but I do sort of ask myself: "Aren't you fed up of this?" I'm going. No, look at all those. It used to be cigarette lighters. It's now phones. Right. Look at all those lights. <laughs> Look wow. at all those lights in the audience. It's 45,000 e-cigarettes. <laughs> 45, e-cigarettes. <laughs> it's 45,000 lights and you're singing Let It Be. Come on, man. Yeah. You've got to get with this, you know. And I, so I do. And I just, I just try and sing it better all the time. Just try and put more meaning in it, more feeling in it. Yeah. And I I actually get off on it, you know. But I do think you should really be fed up with this by now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It just doesn't seem to happen, luckily, you know. As long as they're not. You probably answered this a million times, and I apologize. But were you guys really going to all show up at Saturday Night Live that one time? What
3: happened was uh, I didn't know about it because I was living in England, and I came over to visit John, and he was living over at the Dakota and so I went around to see him and it was kind of joyful because we hadn't seen much of each other. And obviously we'd kind of grown up together, you know, and done all this stuff. So it was really nice to see him. And he, uh, Saturday Night Live came on TV and he said, have you heard about this thing? I said, what? He said, oh, the, the Lorne Michaels, who's like the producer of this show, he comes on each week. And he makes an offer. He came on last week. He made an offer to the Beatles, NBC. And apparently Lorne really did go up to NBC um, paying department and said, what what can you give me for the Beatles? And they they gave him a fee, which was standard rate. You know, there was no. So so he said, we can give you, you know, (laughs) $206.40 or whatever the figure was. And John said, this would be hilarious. He said, we should go down. He said, it's not far. You know, he said it's only a few blocks, really. It's like what, ten blocks from where he was living. He said we should go down. So for like ten precious minutes, we were going, "Yeah, well, we can do it. We could do it, man." And then it was like, "Oh no, come on, we can't. We can't do it. Let's just stay at home and watch the show uh, and you know have a drink." <laughs> <laughs> so we elected to do that, which is good, really, because it gave me a little bit more precious time with him, sure, as as guys. Uh, but but it nearly happened, yeah. It was just him and me were going to show up. Wow. Just show up and say, hey, you wanted us. To, where's the 206, 206 bucks? He said. There's 206. only
0: two of you. You're only going to have to split 50 bucks. <laughs> it's 103. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. true. <laughs> 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 no, we fired the others. We are the whole group. <laughs> uh, this is us now, this the new uh, Beatles. Yeah. We're going to be, we're the new Beatles. We're yeah. actually the half the Beatles are the yeah. new Beatles. Still Toodles. not getting the 200 bucks. <laughs> yeah. You've, you always seems to, you've always seemed to have uh, a relationship to comedy, too.
3: Well, I love it. You know, like most people. Yeah, I, I, I think it's great. And Liverpool's a, a great place for humor. You know, you grow up with, with a lot of funny stuff going on. Uh, and in school, you were know, talking about bullies before. That's the other way out. Mm-hmm. You can run or you can be funny. I'm... And so you get so many comedians who tell you that. Mm-hmm. You know, I just joked my way out of it, man. Because these great big guys you see in the movies that are on the football team <laughs> and they're going to thump the hell out of you. But yeah. you go, hey, da da da. Oh, he's funny. But uh, yeah, so Liverpool's a very funny place. My dad was a funny guy. They just had funny expressions. And I, say, I think a lot of it was to do with the horror of the war. Of course. And coming up after that, it was like, yeah, let's just joke.
0: It's a coping <laughs> yeah. mechanism.
3: Yeah. That's how they learned to cope. So he would just say crazy things, you know. So you grew up hearing this crazy stuff you know we'd say to him about something we wanted to know we said why dad why is that so he said because there's no hairs on a seagull's chest
1: <laughs> <laughs> you
3: go, yeah okay all right <laughs> you know And he was all, he always had you know millions of those sayings you know that i i now you know i now remember you know. Or oh, was it? Oh, yeah! Just yesterday, someone was saying, "Take your coat off." And I was going, "Get stripped! You're on next."
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He would just say that, you know. So you're you're in this atmosphere of like silliness, and and Liverpool's very like that. You, you you find when you go to Liverpool, there's everyone's like a joker. Yeah, they're all comedians, you know. So we we were kind of brought up in that, and then when you come, you know, come to America and you see sort of American sharp wit. I mean, I used to see Second City, of course, in London. They they used to tour, and I used to see them, and used to think, "Wow, they're great!" You know, really funny. And then coming here and seeing SNL, and all of that, because it was all the early stuff. You know, you ju- I just love it. I mean, I was actually over there yesterday because uh, I know Lorne. Come uh, wh- on, what? Give it
2: up! <laughs> <laughs> oh my anybody, God, you have
3: made it! Anybody want to job in comedy? <laughs> just come and see me. But you know, no, I happen to. But for years now, we've we've hung out, and he's a he's a great guy. And uh, no, I was over there yesterday, and it is just fascinating. Just I love that seeing writers, seeing them do refine their art. Yeah, you know, throw ideas at Lorne, and he just shakes his head, and it's out. Yeah, <laughs> or it's in and they're happy. You know, I love that. So I love shows like that. It's uh, it's a great tradition. And I was talking to uh, Nancy, my wife. She said those shows wouldn't get done these days. You know, if that if that was a new show, they wouldn't do it. Nobody would spend that kind of money on a comedy show, right? Yeah. But it's such a tradition that it just rolls on and they're coming up for forty years.
0: Yeah. Well, I know people said that. Uh they go, oh, yeah, Paul used to go to Largo in Los Angeles and watch, you know, like John yeah. Bryan or Neil Finn or yeah. Colin Hay and comedy show, like the comedy shows yeah. at Largo.
3: Yeah, it's a great evening out, you know, yeah, I love that.
0: Yeah. Did you guys want to, like, I... Yeah, you've kind yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, of monopolized I've monopolized everything. I just thing. want to make sure that you guys get a... Well, I
4: had a question. As I'm also left-handed and play the guitar. Oh, <laughs> right. And uh, I find it impossible to find guitars. So yeah. I, you know, I have 26 now that I've just bought because I go, yeah. I'll never see that again left-handed. Uh-huh. I have to get yeah. it. So when you started playing, there were like no left-handed guitars.
3: There were no left-handed. you had to turn the strings around. There really were no left-handed guitars. Um, so I got a right-handed and turned the strings around. And um, the problem was up at the nut where you got the little holes that yeah. you know, take the strings before they go to the machine heads the other way around so i'd i'd be putting my little thin first string in a great fat <laughs> hole, and, and my, my big fat bass string wouldn 't go in the little hole right so I had to like carve them out, so i 'd have to carve out what was meant for the easter, the little string, yeah. and then I had to put paper or match yes. sticks in in the other hole, so you had to kind of make your way through it
4: did you ever did so when you finally the first left handed Stringed yeah. instrument you got was the Hofner bass, right?
3: Well, no, I mean, that, that my Hofner was still right handed. Um, the scratch plate's the wrong way, wrong side. Ah. So I still was gouging out the, <laughs> the nut, you know. Um, it was only much later that I got an actual lefty when they started making them, yeah. realizing that there were plenty of people out there. But uh, I always used to play the wrong way around. I used to play. try oh, like Albert King. as a yeah, yeah, I tried to play the wrong way around. But then I saw a picture of some guy in a, in a, in a magazine, yeah. and he was playing left-handed. I said, wow, it's possible. Yeah. So I turned mine around and then had to change the strings that's and stuff. That's how it
4: was when I saw you.
3: Yeah. I said, oh, you this can is, do that. Oh, uh, yeah. Get
0: me a lefty.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Oh, that's
0: great. Jonah? Do you, uh, did you ever play uh, temporary secretary live? Cause no, it's one of my favorite oh, songs man. of yours. It's so, I would
3: love to, you know, we we were actually just talking about doing that because, really? yeah, I'd love to do that. Um, it was one of those songs that I'd forgotten because you know, the songs come and go, and you know, it was a while ago that I released the album that that was on, but then I just somebody said to me, There's a guy in Brighton, there's a DJ, uh, in Brighton, he's playing the hell out of it. I said, What? what was he playing? He's temporary secretary. They'd gone crazy. Like all the clubs. Yeah. So it, it went around all the clubs. So again, you know, it reawakens it for me. I go, this is cool. Okay, let me listen to it again. Wow. Um,
0: it's it's an awesome song. So
3: yeah, I'd uh, thank you. The guy so, who
0: cho- to, uh, actually showed to me years ago, like probably like, you know, eight or ten years ago, because uh, I'd never heard it and it was uh, my friend, Chris Holmes, who's now your I love DJ. Chris. Yeah, yeah, he's like an old friend of mine. He's like, uh, we were just talking about music and just, we were talking about like weird like tracks that you wouldn't expect from certain people. And we were just kind of, you know, sending songs back and forth. And then, like, he's like, here's one called Temporary Secretary. And it's been on my, like, you know, playlist. Like, so it's on heavy rotation for me.
3: You know, yeah, it's great. I must say I'm rediscovering it. I like um, she can be a neurosurgeon if she's doing nothing (laughs) urgent. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, no, we were talking about doing that. I don't know. You know, I think think we can do it. We just have to use a sample or something for the uh, sequencer. Yeah, do you not
0: have that sequencer
3: anymore? Uh, I don't. But well, I, I I have another one um, but I don't have that sequence in it yeah, kept yeah. kind of thing. You know, we we could recreate it. Yeah, definitely.
2: Yeah.
0: yesterday I had uh, when I was in Los Angeles, I took a red eye last night, but I uh, we, I podcasted uh, Joe Perry. Yeah. And so I didn't bring I didn't I didn't bring your name up during the podcast. Because I didn't want to be like, "Well, you know who my guest tomorrow is." Mm. So we just had the we did the podcast and he was great. Yeah. And our, our uh, production assistant, Kyle, was walking him out. And Joe goes, hey, so who's, uh, who's next on the podcast? And Kyle goes, funny, you should ask. It's <laughs> Paul McCartney. He goes, we just played together. And he told this great story that I completely mm-hmm. missed out on. Yeah, no, he said, no. you guys played together, uh, I think, a song that you wrote for Badfinger, he said. Yeah,
3: that's right. It was yeah. like
0: you and Johnny Depp and Joe Perry. and Alice Cooper. And right. Alice
3: Cooper. Yeah, it was right. Uh, yeah, well, cause I know Johnny, he's been kind enough to be in a few videos with me. I just ring him up and say, hey, this is video. He's going, tell me when you want me, man. <laughs> he's, he's like one of those guys, he's just there, you know. So I, I felt I owed him one, at least one. Sure. And he rings me up, he said, we got this project with Alice and they're gonna, it's like a tribute to an old drinking club, an, a, a club of great excess right mm-hmm. here that were called the Hollywood Vampires. So it was like Alice, John, Keith Moon, all the crazies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, who are all dead. Yeah. You know, so, except Alice. So they, they had this project and they're, d- they're just doing it with various people. And Johnny said, oh, you come along to my studio and uh, let's try and do something together. So we, we got this song, Come and Get It, which was a hit for Badfinger that I wrote for them. Yeah. And uh, we did that. And Joe was there, you know. So it was a great afternoon. Hanging with these guys It was a lot of fun. It's going to come out on an album that they're, they're making. What was it tour? I forget. There's a good strap line on it. It's like, I've and, I, and I've forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. But anyway, so forget that bit.
0: So a couple more things, and then we'll, we'll let you go because I'm sure you have. St- I'm sure you have other stuff to do than talk mm-hmm. to us all day on the podcast. But um, so uh, at this point, when you've seen, I mean, you've seen. Some of the most interesting things that any human being will ever see from your vantage point. Very mm. few people will ever have that vantage point.
2: True.
0: But you've also, you know, you've also seen hardship, and you've seen loss, and you've lost people, and but you've had great triumphs. And so, how does it all? How do you see it all now when you sort of look back and see like the timeline of your of your life? Is it? Is it? You know, how, how does? How do you? How do you perceive it?
3: Well, you know, I. It's great. I mean, I'm really, I really feel very lucky, very fortunate to, to, as you say, you know, to have done what I've done, and to still be doing it. I mean, that's particularly fortunate, you know. Um, but the thing is, life is life, you know, and people lose people. You know, as so nobody gets away with their mum and dad staying alive mm-hmm. forever, and so it's a fact of life, you know. And so that's happened to me. My mum died when I was like 14. So that was like the first major shock in that kind of angle. And then later my dad died, and then later, you know, uh, Linda died, John and George died. So I've seen those kind of big losses in my life. Um, and, you know, but I can't sort of sit there in a corner and think it's all happening to me. Because, you know, you we're all experiencing that, you know, and the older you get, you're gonna, the more you're going to experience it. So it, it just is... Somebody said, nobody gets out of this one alive, baby. And that's the truth, you know. So you just have to live with that as Mm. best you can. And I just, because it is life, and because it is what happens to everyone, then I don't think I'm any kind of special case. So I look at the good side of it. I look at all the the great things that have happened. um, And there's sure as hell a lot of them.
2: Mm.
0: So you would say that you maybe have hope for the future i would say that i've got a lot of hope for the future (laughs) i think it's fantastic that you did that the the people don't know you did the song for destiny yeah which is have you played have you played destiny i played it yeah but i'm no good
3: you know i (laughs) I played it but um i just get mashed (laughs) right away i do it i go into this room and all these people start shooting at me with yeah. advanced weaponry <laughs> and, and i it. appear to have one little rifle <laughs> and i don't get far so uh you know but but it's good fun you know i mean i didn't do it so that i could play it you know sure my grandkids are the ones who play it yeah and i i will try and play it and get killed very soon and then you know then they take over and they say, thank you looking at me like you know <laughs> Who's he? <laughs> you know, I'm your grandfather. And I wrote a song. That was a moment when I was very cool. Believe me. Otherwise, I'm not really very big. <laughs> I'm like, you know, it's like I'm, I'm writing a song in a corner. And I'd be, Dad, could you stop? I said, no. This is like this could be important. Dad, I'm trying to watch the TV. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I've got to slope off into a toilet somewhere. <laughs> but the acoustics are much better there anyway, so and I can lock the door. But uh, now you know it's it's great stuff, man, and yeah, it, it was really good writing it for Destiny, and it's a it's a good game. You know, it's uh, doing well. And the thing for me was, you know, that I was very conscious that it would be reaching. People I wouldn't normally reach. Yeah. It'd be reaching people who might not listen to my music. And here was I Ramming it down their throats <laughs> Oh, you think you
0: can get away? I'm going to put it right in front of your
3: face <laughs> yes, man I'm putting it right in your head In, in your those head headphones You're, gonna have to, you're not yeah. going to be
0: able to get away yeah.
3: And they're saying It's okay, we don't watch the end credits anyway <laughs>
0: Come on. Oh, please listen Come on Listen to <laughs> me <laughs> Well, uh, this has been amazing And, oh, and I mean, thank you so much for, You gave us a lot of time And I really It's no, really, good, no I, did, hope you, I hope you had a nice time
3: I did you know, it's good. It's just like sitting around hanging with the guys. Uh, unfortunately, I got to do some other stuff. So,
0: you know, hope for the future. That's what I say. Hope for the future. And then we we sign off our podcast by. We have this saying, which essentially uh, means don't live in the future or the past, just enjoy the present as Mm -hmm. it's happening, Mm -hmm. because I feel like that's very hard to remember a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. So we tell people, uh, enjoy your burrito. We would all be tremendously honored if you would sign off the podcast for us by inviting people to enjoy their burrito. Would you mind? No, i do that.
3: Hey, folks, enjoy your burrito.
0: Perfect. Stick the well, landing. Well done. Yeah,
3: Make it veggie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, what more? <laughs> to do that. More of that. Okay. <laughs> The, the tiniest most it. adorable that harmonica most I've ever, ever seen. seen. A, well,
4: a lot of us uh, have
0: loose chains in our pockets. Paul has a harmonica. Okay, Paul, you're in the band.
2: <laughs> now leaving nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito.